Well, this morning I want to to direct our thoughts and my message this morning specifically to Evan, but not entirely to Evan. I hope they're in trust that there'll be application of life for all of us here, but just in light of, of his graduation, I wanted to look at this morning's message with the thought of something of a word of exhortation to, to Evan as we ventures into his next step. And so, Evan, we trust that we'll be of some help to you here this morning, and I expect your undivided attention. <laughs> I want us to direct our thoughts this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. Maybe a strange place to go uh, for this type of message. You go to the book of Ecclesiastes, there are some questions that immediately begin to arise. One of the questions is, well, who wrote this book? Uh, tradition has been that it was written by King Solomon. Even Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, the, guy, the writer identifies himself simply as, in most translations, identifies the words of the preacher. Uh, the word can be translated, the, the gatherer of the congregation. And he identifies himself further as the son of David, king of Jerusalem. So there seems to be enough here in the minds of most that Solomon is in fact the author it's the position that in fact I hold to somewhat tenuously I think those who would say someone else who they don't know has written it that the burden of proof lies with them that I I, I tend to, to, to lean toward the position that it was right, actually written by King Solomon another question that, began, that arises is what is the purpose what's the intent of the book of Ecclesiastes and that question is not so easily answered either. In fact, it's not as easily answered as the author may have been. You know, there's a wide spectrum of, of opinions by people of exactly what is intended in this book. It appears to be the work of someone who has ventured on a search for answers to life. And... They've come to the end of things. And so they've gone back and they've recorded for our benefit. Again, King Solomon has recorded for our benefit the, the words here of, of a search for answers to life. Some have deemed it as something of a the size of a disheartened searcher. You know, it's kind of become, here's his conclusion. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or maybe that's his starting point. And he does start there. And again, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, vanity, vanity is all is vanity. But we even see the same idea communicated to us at the very end of the book. When we get to chapter 12, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I wondered instead if we were not to consider the book of Ecclesiastes as revealing to us something of an idea that's conveyed to us in the New Testament. Was it not the Apostle Paul himself who said in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 20, he says that the creation was subject to futility, vanity. Paul recognized that. That there's a measure of vanity and emptiness in the world. And so if we, if we tie that in, that thought in with the book of Ecclesiastes, I think we're compelled to say that the book of Ecclesiastes gives us a little bit more orthodoxy than we might imagine upon first glance. In other words, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he's got some truth. 
There's been debate about even whether or not the book of Ecclesiastes should be included in the in the Old Testament. Well, we can't debate that because it, it or the Old Testament it is included, and we believe by the by the will of God as the inspired Word of God. What conclusions does this man, does Solomon, come to? One who recognizes that as he's looked through life and as he's tried a number of things in life and is sees that in life it's vanity, all is vanity, it's empty, it's futile. Recognize that the key to life is not within life itself. It's outside that. It's outside the natural. It's outside the realm of the things that, that we can see. So let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. He brings us to a summary point. The conclusion. That's a good way to tell what someone has in mind when they're writing a book. And if we believe, as I do, I think this book was not written as things happened, as one was going through the experience. I think it was written as one unit. The person got to the end and he went back and then he wrote it all out. And he said, this is the conclusion of everything that I've stated, everything I've experienced, and what I've told you here. The conclusion, verse 13. When all has been heard is... Fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. Again, some debate, some versions translate that because this is the whole work of men. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. You have a long tradition of, uh, of graduation speeches. Did you have a speech at your graduation the other night, Evan? Someone speak? They still do that. <laughs> a lot of those. A lot of those done in the last few weeks, in the coming few weeks. A lot of those done in the last several years, last many years. Think of all the words, all the speeches that have been given at graduation services in the last hundred years. I graduated from high school and we had a speaker there. I don't have a clue who it was. I don't have a clue what they said. I graduated from a junior college in Lebanon, Tennessee with an Associate of Arts degree. Had a guy give a speech. I don't know who it was. I don't have a clue what he said. I got my bachelor's degree. Union University, Jackson, Tennessee. Had a speaker come. I know who it was. It was Grady Nutt, the former comedian, Christian comedian, who had been on Hee Haw. I remember him. And I actually remember a few of his jokes. But beyond that, I'll be honest with you, I don't remember a lot. I've been to other people's graduations, heard speeches, and it's gone. I've thought a few times, if I were asked to give a speech at a graduation, what would I say? And I don't know. That's easier, like, you know, I've, I've been a few times, I've spoken and preached or whatever at uh, Christian schools. That's one thing. But just asked to go give a speech at a graduation, what would I say? And I've thought about that. So I'm not really sure what I would say, especially if you're in a situation that's kind of a secular environment. Man, that's why I've never been asked. But I don't have anything to say. But what a privilege to come and to to give Evan in light of where you are and again to the church family here as well to go to the Word of God. And I trust and I hope, Evan, that the message that I share with you today will be something that you do remember. Remember for its clarity. I hope it's clear. I hope it's simple. I don't, I've tried to make the outline simple. I haven't even alliterated it today. I hope it's remembered for its brevity. 
Karis told me this week, Daddy, can you preach as short this Sunday as you did last time? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, you didn't preach as long last Sunday. Oh, I didn't, didn't even know that. But I also hope, Evan, it's something that's just remembered for its eternality. Something that it takes you can take with you for all of life and be with you forever. So, I direct all of us again to the Word of God here. Because certainty for life is found in God's unchanging Word. What? What does this man, who's had the opportunity to experience much, who's taken a, a look at life, looking for the answer to life, realize the answer to life is not found in life itself. You must look beyond. You must look to the realm of the unseen. What does he say? First of all, and I would encourage Evan and, and encourage likewise all of us as, as the body of Christ, we're to live as though there is a God. Live as though there is a God. Why? Because quite simply, there is one. There is a God. The key to life. Live with a right understanding and a right attitude toward God. How does he say it here in this verse? He says in verse 13, the conclusion what all has been heard is this. Fear God. He doesn't begin with, you need to determine whether or not there is a God. He doesn't begin with, you need to figure out where you are in your walk spiritually. You need to determine what your belief system is going to be. No, he just says very simply, you need to fear God. The preacher, as he identifies himself here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, one, he expands this further. Look back in, in chapter 5. Chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. It says, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they're, that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in words or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Fear God. What's involved in that? What does it mean to fear God? I think two, there's two things. Number one that's conveyed here is we need to grasp something of God's uniqueness. God is not like us. God is not like a man. Yes, there are some ways in which we're created in the image of God and we reflect something of the character and the nature of God. That's true. But don't, don't make the quantum leap it that God is like me. It's not true. That He is one who is unique. He is the one that we must fear. If you fear no one else, fear God. See, God is the ultimate factor of all of life. God is the one who is eternal. God is the one who has always been. God is self-existent. Any other like that? No. 
God didn't create Himself, but God has simply always been. We need to grasp something of the uniqueness of the character of the nature of God. God is the Creator. God is the sustainer of life. God is the one who determines our days. We need to think of the uniqueness of God. There is none like Him. God alone creates. God alone sustains. God alone determines the number of our days. And even as he says here in chapter 5 of verse 2, God is in heaven. You are on the earth. Keep that in mind. He's in heaven. It's a picture that's given to us in the model prayer when Jesus gives His disciples the prayer in the New Testament. He says, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father who is who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name. What's he saying? You need to understand that there is one who is who's far removed. He is far above us. He is unique from us. He's different from who we are. He's been identified by some as one who is other than we are. Other than what we know. We need to understand the uniqueness of God. And it was in that context that Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven. Father, there's a nearness. There's an intimacy. Yes, but there is still a distinction. I was talking with uh, one of Alex last night, and I was talking. I said, "I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have to be your buddy some too, aren't I?" I said, "But that doesn't change the fact that I'm still your dad." Now, there's a there's a right relationship. There's a, there's a reverence and a respect for a father and a son. And there's some some ways that I can be a buddy to my children, but I cannot stop being their dad and their authority and their father. You know, and there's a line across that becomes disrespect. Same way it is with God. Yes, He is a Father to us. Our Father, there is the, the privilege of, of intimacy and nearness unto God. And know that God knows us as His children. But we still must remember, He is in heaven. We are on the earth. Some years ago, it was very popular, the concept of, of conversational prayer. You know, talks of God like He is your buddy. We don't need to talk to God like He's our buddy. We need to come before God and to bow our knees and worship Him. There's none like Him. He's in the heaven. You're on the earth. He's to be approached with a proper reverence, to give thoughtfulness, as He tells us here in chapter 5. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. When you go to the house of God, you go to the place where God is. You're going to a place that is like no other place. Not because of the place, but because who was there. It's God. So guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Give careful thought. Be one who is few in words. Get that, Evan? Few in words. <laughs> you know, we don't need to go to God and, and rail it off. We need to come to God and, and be few in words and be quiet and be still. You know, the temptation many times is we've we've got our, our prayer request, our list uh, of twenty things that we want to see happen or whatever. Let's go through our list and let's be done. We've had our time. We've not been with God. You've been with your list. We need to come and to be quiet, to be still, to have our hearts and our thoughts directed by the Word of God. To be those, as He says here, those who are few in words. Being careful of the, the vows that we make, the promises that we make to God, he speaks of there in verses 4 through 6. Don't make a vow to God if you can't keep it. Make sure the vow is biblical in the first place. But if it's not something that you don't mean, don't do it. Be careful when you make a vow, a solemn oath unto God. And if you do it, you better pay it. 
You need to take your words and your thoughts to God very seriously. He's not like anyone else. He is unique. To live as though there is a God is simply to grasp something of His uniqueness. He's the one you must hear. But also, to live as though there is a God, there's the other side of that, is to grasp, grasp something of our own creatureliness. We are creatures. To know that my existence is absolutely dependent upon His power. I need Him for everything. I have no life apart from God and His grace. To know the appropriate attitude of a creature to the Creator. Very simply, fear God. That's the right attitude for a creature to have toward His Creator. Well, what does that mean? Well, there is the fear of reverence. To know something, again, of His otherness. To bow and to worship before Him. There is that reverential fear. But listen, listen. There is something of this fear. It's terror. That hasn't been completely removed even in salvation. Even if we're the children of God. Listen, you go before the presence of God. You see, uh, have a vision of God in His holiness. Let me tell you what you're going to be. You're going to be not just reverent. You're going to be terrified. That's God. There is a terror still in the Lord. When Moses appeared before the Lord in Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 12, that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. There is a terror in the Lord. When Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, as he Sees the Lord. I saw the Lord. He was high and is lifted up. And what could he say? He could do nothing but pronounce woes against himself. This is a man who's seen the living God. I think you can safely say this is a man who was in terror. Then Hebrews 10.31 tells us it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, it's going to there's going to be a terror, fearful, trembling aspect when we stand before God and we see Him. We need to have that now. We need to live as though there is a God. Understand that He is unique. He is in heaven. I am on earth. Understand something. that I'm a creature. Absolutely dependent upon Him. Live as though God is there. He is. Number two, live as though God has revealed His will. Live as though God has revealed His will. The preacher here in Ecclesiastes 12 tells us, fear God and do what? Keep His commandments. Now the temptation when you get to the point where heaven is right now says, Ah, the day of freedom. And Evan, I just uh, exhort you and encourage you to be on your guard. Many a, a life has been destroyed in college. I know you're going to a Christian college, and I'm thankful for that. There have been lives destroyed at Christian colleges. God has revealed His will. There is right and wrong. You know, this is the day of moral relativism. Now, can we speak of being of having any real moral absolutes in our day and our time? I mean, can we say definitely this is right or this is wrong? 
Well, the writer, he gave himself to a pursuit of self-gratification and pleasures. Look back in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's another reason that many believe that the actual writer of Ecclesiastes is Solomon because he had the means to do these things. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself, and behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it's madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? And this is the way it did. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine, when my mind was guided me wisely. How to take hold of folly, till I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. Provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. And I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. And all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. Thus, I considered all my activities which my hands had done, the labors which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity. And striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. He says it two two times. He said, My wisdom was still with me. In other words, I had full capacity of my wisdom. I was using all of my intellect to pursue whatever I thought could possibly bring satisfaction and fulfillment and answer the question, What's life about? What's the key to life? And I pursued all these things, all these pleasures. This has got to be the answer to pursue these pleasures for myself. And what does he say? It was empty. It's vanity. It's like chasing the wind. There's no satisfaction there. There's a man who, in many respects, lived as though there were no boundaries, as though he could set his own boundaries. Whatever he wanted to pursue, he gave himself to it. But they're empty. Because to pursue... Self-gratification in all of these things is to ignore one's responsibility to live their life before God. See, there is a higher good than live for oneself. The pleasures that we want to pursue after, the things that we think they would enjoy, there's a higher good for that. That is to make, make the living for the glory of God. Make that your pursuit. See, if there is a God... It's right and it's reasonable to make His glory my highest goal. If there's a God and He is great and He is glorious, it's only right and it's reasonable that I should live for Him. Live the way He wants me to live. Accomplish the things that He desires for, to accomplish. Seek out those purposes that He has created me for. That's, that's right and that's reasonable. But listen, if there is a God who has revealed His will, then it is absolutely foolish for me not to do so. 
If there's a God, it's right and reasonable for me to live for His glory. But if this God has revealed His will, I'm a fool. I'm a fool. If I do not live for His glory, live according to His will. The preacher says this, keep His commandments. He says, and ESV applies to every person. ESV says, it's the whole duty of man. God has revealed His moral purposes for us. Those that He has created in His image, that's us. We're to reflect the nature and the character of God. The summary of what God requires of us, summary is in the Ten Commandments. It's expanded throughout Scripture with other commandments, but also given to us by example. And the commands of God, they're not given to us to restrict us. Isn't Isn't that the charge? Oh, it's restriction. It's I can't do this. It's the list of thou shalt not. That's all God has to say to me. They're not just to restrict, but they are to direct us. The laws of God direct us in what pleases Him. The laws of God protect us. They protect us. Ask some of the adults around here. <laughs> Would you like to have been protected from some of the sins and mistakes that you fell into in your early years? As you would have been if you'd walked in the ways of God. They protect. But only do they not restrict us, but you find that they set us free. What did Jesus say? You should know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You want freedom? Freedom is in Christ. You're free. Free to obey. Now we need to be careful. That we understand that when we talk about living according to the will of God, according to the law of God which He has revealed to us, we need to make sure that we don't confuse this with a call to mere moralism. Live a, a life of good deeds or live a good life. No, it's a call to more than that. It's a call to commit yourself to a regular diet of God's Word. That's true. That's not merely reading of the Word but prayerfully meditating upon the Word of God, asking God to make the Word of God alive to me, ask it to become personal to me, that I might grasp the truths that are there and seek to apply them in my life, is to take the time and to apply the effort to drink deeply of the Word of God where I see my inability to live according to that Word. It's a commitment. It's a call to come to the person of Jesus Christ. To recognize that if I commit myself to the law of God, I need the power of God. And the power of God comes only through Jesus Christ. But I also need something to deal with my sin, my, my past sins and my present sin. And that's where I need not just the power, I need righteousness. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ which comes to us by faith in Him. My sin placed on Him. His righteousness placed on my account. That, that is the righteousness, the true righteousness that is pleasing unto God. See, life is not lived to its fullest, regardless of what many may say. Life isn't lived to its fullest if we are living without regard to God's Word and God's direction. Life cannot be lived in obedience to God without His power and His strength. So live as though God has revealed His will according to His commandments. The preacher says, keep His commandments. But recognize it's not a call to do it by your own strength, by your own power. 
It's a call to come and to recognize that you can't keep it and to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, live as though you will give an account to God. Just very simply, because you will. He says here in verse 14, God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. The preacher is faithful and is biblically consistently reminded that after death there is judgment. He speaks of it in other places throughout the book here. Nothing is going to be hidden. Everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil, good or evil, it's going to be exposed. You know, Paul speaks in the book of Romans. He speaks of the judgment of God. And you know where he includes it? He said, this is part of the gospel message. According to my gospel, being judged for your sin. Heaven, let me encourage to you and dear saints of God, we need to live as though we're going to give an account. Because we are. It's appointed unto every man wants to die after death, the judgment. And it's not a matter of who dies with the most toys. It's a matter of who dies with Christ. You die with Christ, you have hope. You have Him. You have an advocate. You die apart from Him, you have no hope. You have a righteous judge who condemn you to hell. We need to live as though we're going to give an account. And all it has to do is look back at the record. You know, we know sin's deeper than what we do. Sin is even part of our nature. But all it has to do is let's just look back at the record. Have you sinned? One's enough. There's plenty. Plenty of sin. But then to be judged not only according, according to what I've done, but even based on what I am. A sinner. A rebel. To stand before God in that state. We need to live as though we're going to give an account to God. Nothing will be hidden. Everything will be exposed. And Evan, I just want to direct your attention back to Chapter 12, verse 1, in closing. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. This is the time. You know, this is the time to set the boundaries that will guide you for the rest of your life. Many young people have forgotten. And some have taken scars of sin into adulthood. Some have destroyed their own lives and the lives of others with them. Some have stepped into eternity. You know, I'm 45 years old. I'll be 46 in a few weeks. I've taught in this Christian school for 11 years. And I've got kids that I taught. They're in eternity. I know of at least three students that I had during eternity right now. Today's the day to remember, heaven. Today's the day to determine, to make the 
covenants before God and say, God, by Your grace, I'm going to remember that I'm not my own. I'm Yours. That as I step into my new world and experience of freedom tomorrow, <laughs> that, that day you had before you asked that, what are you going to do tomorrow? <laughs> now as you step into that new world, that day is not Yours. It's the Lord's. It's His gift to you. And I need to be reminded of that. You know, those days, ah, day off. It's not my day. It's His day. You know, there's been some who have questioned the wisdom of, actually the wisdom of God, I guess, in the big picture. That why is strength wasted on youth? <laughs> and then when, people, when we get as old as we are, you know, and we've got a bit of maturity and understanding, we don't have the strength anymore. <laughs> it's a gift to you, Evan. Your youth, your strength, the gifts God's given to you, your athleticism. I encourage you to use those for the glory of God. To make that a a day-by-day, moment-by-moment commitment to the Lord. Lord, I'm yours. I'm not going to live as though I'm my own. And we want you to know that there's a, a group here. We know you're going to still be amongst us here for several months. And I guess even a few years of college, you'll be back quite ready. We want you to know, though, that there's a, there's a group here that love you. We're going to pray for you. We're available to you. We want to do what we can for you. Most of all, for eternity. So I hope you'll take what we shared this morning, Evan, to, again, all of us, to live as though there's a God, simply because there is. To live as though this God has revealed His will, because He has. And live your life as though one day you're going to stand before Him and give an account, because you will. That's a word for all of us, is it not? It is. May God give us grace to make application of where we exhort young Evan to place in our lives today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Evan and thank You for this special day that we can celebrate with him, this special point in his life. I pray You would guard him. What I desire would be that we see a young man here that 20 years down the road he can look back and say there's, there's no regrets. I've done that which God has called me to do and I've experienced and have experienced a full, satisfying life. Thank you for the role he has here among us and thank you for the opportunity you've given us to touch him to be a part of his life. We pray for the Spirit of God to be upon him. And again, we pray for our sister Harriet and as she makes the adjustment in the, over the next few months, I pray that you administer grace to her and she comes to a, a new point in her life. And as we seek to minister to her faithfully, may the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified. May God be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.